0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart & Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over six thousand captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan.
0: In what one newspaper called a Christmas rampage, a gray squirrel in the United Kingdom bit 18 residents of a single neighborhood in a 48-hour reign of terror last month. Affectionately named Stripe, after the evil character from the 1984 hit Gremlins, and real quick, here's a fun side note for you, Steven Spielberg received so much backlash from families who went to see a cute film featuring stuffed animatronic animals, which is what Gremlins was on the ads, only to be horrified when those same cute creatures turned into people-killing monsters. The criticism of Gremlins, and apparently Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, also a Spielberg film, for both being too graphic, led to the new movie rating of PG-13. Chilled a monkey brain. Huh? Huh? Don't tell me you didn't learn something today. Anyway, back to Stripe and the killer squirrel situation. And, you know, I'll probably circle back to gremlins here, too. This squirrel would reportedly attack residents unprovoked and caused many to worry that children and the elderly could be seriously injured. Residents posted in the neighborhood Facebook group pictures of bloody fingers, knees, and thumbs that fell victim to the rodent's tiny incisors. I've got teeth marks on the top and bottom of my finger, one resident told the British News Service. It proper latched on, and I had to shake it off. He's taken the top layer off my knuckle. His teeth are like pins. What could have motivated a squirrel to lose all fear of humans and become aggressive? If you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably already guessed. Turns out, one of the residents had been feeding it. 65-year-old Corinne Reynolds, known locally as the Bird Lady, had been feeding Stripe along with other neighborhood squirrels nearly every day. She even shared a picture with British journalists of Stripe sitting on her shoulder, and she knew, even before it began, that stripe could be dangerous. Her quote, I have several in my garden and love them and feed them daily, but never after midnight, she posted on Facebook. That's a joke, that's a gremlins reference. Sadly, it runs at you and attacks for no reason whatsoever. I'm very careful when I see it and always make sure I have monkey nuts in my pocket to give him quick because he has bit me before. Now, before the animal trainer in you says don't reward bad behavior and you write off Miss Reynolds as a bad person, I need to tell you, to her credit, Reynolds was the one who finally trapped Stripe once her neighbors started making a fuss. She bagged the squirrel in a live trap, which she baited with peanuts, the squirrel's favorite snack. Gray squirrels are native to North America, but they're an invasive species in the UK. Back in the late 1800s, British homeowners brought them over from America to add variety to their gardens. One might say that decision has come back to bite them. Hmm? Today, according to the British Pest Control Association, gray squirrels are harming populations of native red squirrels. Gray squirrels outcompete their cousins for food and shelter, but the big danger is something called squirrel pox. Gray squirrels are immune from squirrel pox, but reds are not. Once infected with the virus, red squirrels die of dehydration within about two weeks, while grays exhibit no symptoms. According to some estimates, there are only 140,000 native red squirrels left in the UK, compared to 2.5 million gray squirrels. This is why, when Reynolds managed to trap Stripe, it would have been illegal for her to relocate the offending critter to a nearby forest, only to kill again. When she handed him over to the Royal Society for the prevention of cruelty to animals, they euthanized him. No surprise there. Now, back to Gremlins. Gremlins was the number two film in America after its release, and it had many critics as well as many proponents. If you do some digging on the old inner line, it has been suggested that the tiny, cuddly aliens that turn into nasty, terrorizing, and demon-like gremlins are representative of all manners of human society at the time. Social classes, etc. But, I ask you, what if the real motivation behind gremlins was that old adage of don't feed the animals? Think about it, it's right there in front of you. Cute, cuddly animals, all of a sudden, they turn and bite the crap out of people. Instead of social classes, they could be Yellowstone bison grizzly bears, coyotes in urban environments. It's right there in front of us. This week, we've got get off your bass in the new year, the snort report, Wisco wolves, AK caribou, and trail cams. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was pretty darned awesome. We started off with a chucker hunt, which if you have ever hunted Chucker or know someone who does, you've undoubtedly heard the saying, the first time you hunt Chucker is for fun, every time after is for revenge. That saying comes from the fact that the Chucker, which is an introduced species also known as red-legged partridge, resides on very steep, rocky, mountainous terrain. They much prefer to run than fly, but they will fly. Most typically, after a hunter has gone through the trouble to hike all the way up one of these very steep, rocky, dry mountains, the birds fly over the top of the hunter's head, just out of shotgun range, and often, they fly over the very steep valley from which the hunter had hiked onto the opposite mountainside. They can be frustrating birds to hunt, but they will get you in prime hiking shape, and if you really get into chasing them, they will destroy, at minimum a shotgun, several pairs of pants, and a few pairs of very sturdy hiking boots. This hunt was one in which the birds were overrun with too much snow, and the raptors were keeping them buried. They did not like to fly, and they could not run. Keep in mind, we didn't know this at the time. It was pretty darned amazing to see all the birds. We picked up a few. Snort did a fantastic job. Her first chucker, she located birds in knee and thigh-deep snow, And my girlfriend Sam got her first Upland game bird ever, and really helped the Pittman-Robertson tax fund in the process. We could have gone back and back to this spot, but once was enough. Next, Old Snort and I met up with Casey Hawks, a.k.a. Seahawk of the First Light Office, and his dog Maude. We headed into the desert to find wily, wild, and sparse late-season roosters. Casey has an obsession for hunting these well-educated and elusive public land birds. The victories are few, with many miles on the truck, dogs, and legs in between. Often, a win is just getting a shot off. I had Snort outfitted with a GPS collar, the Garmin kind you see on the pointing dogs, something I've wanted for a really long time, and, you know, really just wanted to cure my curious nature. How far did the dog run? Did we really cover all the cover that we saw? Those types of things. I know, it's very techy. We beat brush and the four to six inches of snow dropped on us from the tall sage and Russian olive until we were soaked. Snort retrieved her first quail, then another, and after gritting out and stomping through as much cattail as I could handle, she flushed a hen pheasant, then a rooster, which held very tight until that little lab nose broke its comfort zone. Snort did everything right, and I was out of position, already moving past, and i just flat out missed my only opportunity of the day. It was gone. After another couple hours slogging through and falling in half-frozen marsh, we decided to give the dogs a break and drive to another spot, with the heater cranked full blast because we were soaked. Our first glance at the new zone was not all that promising, but we were running late on time and gave it a walk anyway. Immediately, we were flushing hens and finding more tracks in the snow. After a couple of miles, we were walking in between groups of cover in the sage, and Snort circled a lone sagebrush twice, then started to walk away, then thought better of it, turned around, and circled the scrawny sagebrush again. Then she looked up at me, very confused. I said, Bird? Snort jammed her head under the snow, and a hen pheasant erupted. These birds were holding tight. About five yards later, another sagebrush and another hem. 20 yards beyond that, another hem. And finally, after talking, laughing, and stomping around, a rooster launched out of the snow with a lab nose on its tail. Casey's dog Maude found that one, and Casey made a great shot, and we finally had our trophy bird. This is the type of situation where if one guy connects, it's a team victory, and the dogs were working great we stopped and took pictures of it like it was a six-point bull. Newly motivated, we hiked on, and on, and again, smashed cattails and waded over our boot tops and bogs and did not flush a bird. Eventually, Snort, smelling something good, waded into a muddy crops of cattails and came out with a hen blue wing teal, which she delivered to me and was none too happy when I threw it into the air. Catch and release is apparently not her thing. Eventually, as the sun was getting low and the temps were moving back into the low single digits, Snort came out of the brush with a hen pheasant. Again, when this bird was released, Snort was very unhappy. Now things were cold. Everyone was tired and wet, and we headed for the truck. We were hunting, but definitely at a faster pace. As we neared the warmth of the vehicle, Casey and Maud swung left, Snort and I swung right, Eventually, Snort and I popped up on the two track road and started walking Casey's way. A giant, cold Idaho desert sunset, which was absolutely gorgeous, was interrupted by fresh pheasant tracks and wing marks from where the rooster had to be a rooster, right had emerged from the cover onto the road and beaten us. Snort followed his back tracks into a depression that was filled with tumbleweeds covered in snow. This was a small dog in deep cover she would disappear with her nose down and barely be visible when she would pause to look up at me and when she'd look up her expression read birds in here perfectly timed Casey and Maud showed up on the bottom end of this mess of cover working slowly towards the truck I moved parallel with them and we had Snort in the middle Snort was hunting but if you didn't know any better you'd have thought she'd lost her car keys or a uh, contact she was moving so slow After a few minutes, she looked up at me and said, Bird. The next time her head dipped, a rooster emerged, vertically, from deep under the snow and tumbleweeds. This bird had to go up and up and up to clear the cover. My very cold hands found the safety and swung with the now horizontally moving bird, and bang! Two old public land roosters and a heck of a day connecting with an old buddy who likes to walk as much as I do. And finally, as if we needed more, We moved over to western Idaho, met up with an old buddy of mine, and got to actually hunt his private ground, which he typically doesn't hunt at all, and something he's put a bunch of conservation cash into. As he would say, all it takes is a million bucks and a lot of time. We walked a cornfield, which is laying out there specifically for the birds, moved a ton of pheasants, most of which flew up onto a steep, sage, and snow-covered hillside. And then we just walked the dogs around in there and Snort got a hunt behind two pointing griffons. The three of them made an incredible team. It was a very bad day to be a pheasant. The birds that held were found. Snort's confidence in her nose is at an all-time high and the damned pheasant season is over. We got a short duck season, a little bit longer goose season, and then it's just seasonal bird dog depression until next season. Ugh, brutal and that's the snort report. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead, and I can't chip in to you know lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast, so get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T. Fabric.com slash cow. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions.
1: Now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. For all you elk hunters out
0: there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on an X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Moving on to the catch and release desk. Wildlife biologists have been running into an unexpected problem in recent years. They can't get anglers to keep enough black bass. If you were thinking, I'm a largemouth guy, not a black bass guy, well, we're talking to you. The black bass genus includes large and smallmouth bass. These species were pushed to the brink of extinction in the 19th century, but in the early 20th century, anglers and conservationists worked together to save these famous fish. They introduced laws to stop market fishing and funded projects to conserve habitat. Most importantly, they engaged in a public relations campaign to turn black bass from a food fish into a sport fish. That turned out to be one of the most successful PR campaigns in conservation history. Today, black bass anglers, again we're talking large and smallmouth bass, have been shamed for keeping their catch. On top of that, large and smallmouth have been castigated in many areas as poor table fare. Tastes like mud, you can't eat them. Overall, that mindset has been beneficial to black bass species, but some biologists worry that discouraging harvest removes a key tool in their conservation toolkit. As we pointed out many times on this show, hunters and anglers help biologists keep habitat and populations healthy by removing a certain number of individuals every year. If anglers refuse to keep fish, it limits what biologists can do to manage those populations. In Oklahoma, for example, state wildlife officials are proposing a new regulation to encourage anglers to take home more of their catch. Right now, anglers are only allowed to keep black bass species if they exceed 14 inches. Under this new rule, anglers would be allowed to keep fish smaller than 14 inches, but would still be prohibited from taking home more than one fish longer than 16 inches. The idea, according to biologists, is to remove more small fish so that the population can grow more big fish. Catch and release has taken hold and, in a lot of cases, has gone too far, according to Cliff Sager, senior fisheries biologist for the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation. We're trying to slowly steer the ship back into more balanced management, he told the Oklahoman. Sager explained that 70% of the bass in Oklahoma are 14 inches or less, These small fish compete for limited resources, which reduces fish growth. Encouraging anglers to keep more 12- and 13-inch fish should allow the remaining fish to grow faster and larger. Now, there is some nuance to this topic. Not all black bass species are thriving. The Guadalupe bass, for example, was only recently saved from the brink of extinction, and those recovery efforts are ongoing in central Texas. Heck, the local pond next to you may be in recovery mode from a recent winter die-off. Always read your regulations. 39.32 million fishing licenses were sold in 2021 compared to 38.5 million hunting licenses. So, you could say that fishing pays a few more bills in license revenue. If there are too many small fish and not enough big fish in a local lake, anglers may stop purchasing licenses. And all you need to do to prevent that is get off your bass and eat more fish. I got your fish so juicy, so sweet! Quick side note for you, you hear a bunch about cooking fish on the half shell in the saltwater community. Your freshwater black bass species are perfect for this preparation. Bleed your bass, keep them cold, then take a stiff knife, fillet through the ribs, then fillet off that bony rib section. I just use a pinch of salt, oil, a little bit of pepper, rub your fillets down, place the unscaled skin down on a pellet grill or any indirect fire you can come up with, as long as it's real hot. Close the lid, give it about six minutes max, and you'll be able to slide that meat off with a flick of your wrist, and all is right with the world. That is a delicious fish. If you want to, this is a very appropriate way to make a blackened bass, which is basically what I just told you, but with a pile more seasoning. Moving on to the Wolf Desk. Wisconsin's wolf hunting generated an avalanche of bad headlines in February of 2021 after hunters and trappers nearly doubled the state's 119 wolf quota in less than three days of hunting. In October of 2021, Dane County Judge Jacob Frost agreed with animal rights groups and put this year's wolf hunt on hold. He argued that the Wisconsin DNR had failed to develop and approve a permanent plan that would govern wolf hunting in the state and he took issue with the lack of oversight on the rules the DNR did impose. At the time, he said the 2021-22 hunt might still take place if these issues could be resolved. However, defendants and plaintiffs in the suit just agreed to a court schedule that wouldn't produce a final ruling until after February 28th of this year, which is when the wolf season would have ended. Wolf hunters in Wisconsin will have to wait until at least next fall, but this isn't the only lawsuit holding up the hunt. Another federal lawsuit is being brought by the Ojibwe tribes, and the judge in that case has said he is prepared to issue a ruling if the state reaches a decision. Furthermore, environmental groups are currently suing the federal government for removing gray wolves from the endangered species list. Even if the state and federal suits are resolved, that decision could end up prohibiting all gray wolf hunting nationwide. Wisconsin held its first hunt since 2014, between February 22 and February 24 of 2021. After those three days, hunters and trappers had exceeded the 119 wolf quota. Hunters accounted for 208 wolves, while trappers accounted for 10. Wisconsin DNR estimated the total wolf population in 2020 to be just over 1,000 individuals, which far exceeded the agency's population goal of 350 wolves even after hunters killed more wolves than the state anticipated, the total population remains well over that goal. Next up at the wolf desk, for the first time in 70 years, a wolf killing of livestock has been recorded in the state of Colorado. According to the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, a domestic calf, of course it's a domestic calf, was killed on December 19th on a private ranch in Jackson County in the northernmost part of the state on the border with Wyoming. The alleged wolf kill was investigated by Colorado Parks and Wildlife or CPW, and District manager Chris Middledorf concluded, quote, "The results of this investigation indicated wolf tracks in the immediate vicinity of the carcass and wounds on the calf consistent with wolf depredation. You may recall that at the same time that wolves have been tracked migrating into Colorado from Wyoming, Proposition 114 was passed by ballot initiative. Ballot initiatives, my favorite. In 2020, calling for the state implemented reintroduction of wolves to Colorado. Hard not to foresee a head-on collision between those two forces. Whether it's in Oregon, Idaho, Wisconsin, North Carolina, now Colorado, you name it, more wolf news is coming your way in 2022, so hold on to your seats. Next up, the update desk. The Arizona trail camera ban we told you about back in July has now gone into effect, meaning that anywhere in the state, public land or private, all year round, even for preseason scouting, trail cameras cannot be used in the, quote, taking or aiding in the take of wildlife. You'll recall that the stated reasons for this ban was specific to the state's lack of water, rather than the technology itself. Water sources are extremely limited in Arizona, and Game and Fish saw a fair chase issue created when dozens of trail cams were focused on game animals that came into those few water sources, many of them man-made. In a wetter state like Pennsylvania or Mississippi, this isn't a problem. Animals can take a drink over a much wider area. We'll see if more severe and frequent droughts across the country widen regulations like this, Utah is now considering a new trail cam ban during hunting season. Montana, New Mexico, New Hampshire, and Nevada all have bans for at least parts of the year. Next up, Alaska Fish and Game recently released population numbers for western arctic caribou, and the picture is not pretty. The herd shrank from about 259,000 animals in 2017 to 188,000 animals today, which is a 27% decline. Tom Gray of the Western Arctic Caribou Herd Working Group, which conducted the study, said, quote, it's around 60 animals per day that died. This decrease is huge. If this happens again two years from now, we're going to be really panicking. This could have major consequences for an issue we've been tracking here on the show for a while, the potential closure of huge areas of public land in northern Alaska to non-subsistence hunters, No one has shown that outside hunters are in fact causing population decline, but a dramatic drop like this will certainly be used as an argument to close those areas. So what is causing the drop if it's not hunters? According to several research organizations, one enormous factor is the theme of delayed onset winter, which is then delaying caribou migration, which in turn disrupts mating, feeding, raising young, and hunting by subsistence groups. Until it gets cold, caribou stay put. One measure of this change is when the herd crosses the Kobuk River in northwest Alaska, and Kyle Jolly of the National Park Service says, quote, In the span of 10 years, the first animal crossing has been delayed by two months, which is an incredible change. We'll be bringing you more on this story as the meeting to determine the future of non-subsistence hunting in the area happens this April, and that's coming up fast. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, if you're in the need for a clean, quiet, powerful, battery-operated chainsaw, go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need, and they won't send you home with what you don't. Aside from that, thank you so much to those of you who have written in to Ask Cal That's A-S-K-C-A-L at com to let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. So don't stop. There's all sorts of good stuff the national news misses, and that's why I rely on you. Thanks for listening, and keep it up. I'll talk to you again next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators at Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me, who want to get your own meat, but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I. Benison.com and use promo code Cal for 20% off your first order.